0: The letter to the Hebrews, chapter five, uh, beginning with about verse twelve. How many found the letter to the Hebrews? There you go. Uh, at least uh, at least one third of the congregation. The others keep looking. It's there. It's there. It's in your Bibles, guaranteed. Uh, first of all, I want us to consider for a moment: who are these Hebrews? Who are these Hebrews that this letter is being written to? Um, And it is considered, and by the way, the name letter to the Hebrews wasn't given to this letter until much later, probably into the second century. It's not like every other letter of Paul that says, "I Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, or an apostle, or a or a, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, to all of you Corinthians, or all of you Romans," and so we know exactly who he's writing to. The the Hebrew to the letters that that the letter to the Hebrews doesn't even begin like a normal letter. Though at the end, there's all the salutations to different people and all of that. So it has the, the components of what a letter is. But it doesn't begin by telling us who these Hebrews are or even where they live. But by reading the letter, uh, what, what is considered uh, is that these are Jewish believers. These are Jewish Christians and, uh, and the thing that we will see as we study today, that portion that I'm talking about, is they have been Christians long enough that they should know better. How many of us have been Christians long enough that we should know better? Okay, so I think the letter to the Hebrews is probably uh, to us as well in what he has to say. Clearly... We know that these are individuals who are receiving the letters or the letter. Clearly, they have an understanding of Judaism. He's not writing to people who have never heard before the practices of the Jews. These are people who are very familiar with the Jewish Torah. And very familiar with the, with the Jewish law. They're very familiar with the temple. And the worships in the temple. And the different rituals of the Jews. And so these Christians. That should have left some of those things behind. Are now uh, Christians. But, but we know that they, the people that he's writing to. Are people that are very familiar with all of these things. With the tabernacle. The original tabernacle and very familiar with the Levitical practices of worship, the priestly practices of worship. However, we also can tell very clearly by reading this letter that they are Christians. And the reason we can tell they're Christians is there's really no place in the letter where they're being introduced to Jesus. There's no, like Romans, where the the gospel is all being laid out for them. Or in in Corinthians, where things are being clarified for them. There's no introduction to Jesus. These are people who know Jesus. They have been Christians for a while. And, however, are needing to be exhorted... Because it seems that there is a danger that these Jewish Christians are in some way being drawn back into Judaism. Something or someone or what is called at times the Judaizers are telling these Jewish believers that they need to return to many of the things of Judaism. And there's a danger that they're not fully understanding that Jesus Christ fulfilled all of the requirements of salvation and all of the requirements of the law and that actually we are all saved by grace through faith alone and not by anything that we do or perform or need to gain it. And so they're being exhorted not to leave the things they've already learned. In fact, uh, I looked up in one of my commentaries something about who these people are. And let me just tell you a little bit of what this commentary primarily said. He says, since their conversion, they have been exposed to persecution. But while they had had to endure public abuse, imprisonment, and the looting of their property, they had not yet been called to die for their faith. They had given practical evidence of their faith, yet their Christian development had been arrested. Instead of pressing ahead, they were inclined to come to a full stop in their spiritual progress, if not indeed indeed, to slip back to a stage which they had left behind. These are who these Jewish Christians are who are receiving the letter to the Hebrews. And as we renew our commitment today and and as we renew our covenant with our God, uh, we need to consider some of these things that are being said or told to to these believers, to these brothers and sisters of ours from many, many, many years ago. But I I think this letter speaks to us because it certainly speaks to me. And I think it speaks to all of us as if we were these Jewish believers. We are indeed Gentile believers. But I think we have some of the same issues. Where we want to have one foot with Christ and the other foot in our previous old life. Or in the world in which we live. And I want to share with you in particular uh, three things uh, in this passage from chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. Uh, he, first of all, he says to them, by this time, you ought to be teachers. By this time you ought to be teachers. What's this time? Well, primarily he's not pointing to a particular time, but he's pointing to the fact that you've been Christians for so long. You've been Christians for so long that by now you should all be teachers of the gospel. Instead, you still need to be taught the ABCs of Christianity. Is that speaking to any of us? We've been coming to church for the longest time. We've called on the name of Jesus for a long time. And we seem to still be needing, instead of us being teachers of the new believers, it seems that we ourselves still need a teacher to take us back to A, B, C, D, E, F. Okay? And I I think it's imperative that we seriously look at this. See, uh, Reverend Tony is not the only one that can sing. (laughs) But the the reality, the reality of this, my brothers and sisters, is that I think this is a serious uh, call on our lives. That some of us can say, I've been a Christian since I was a young person. I've been a Christian for 10 years. I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've been a Christian all my life. And he is saying, by this time, you ought to be teachers. And yet, it seems that you still need someone to teach you the rudimentary principles of Christianity. In other words, when are you going to get it? When are you going to get it? In fact, he begins to talk about milk. That we need to be fed with milk because we cannot handle the solid food. And the language that he, as you read there, the language that, that it speaks about, it speaks about us being infants or those who he's writing to. He's saying you are infants when you should be by now. You should be mature in the faith. You shouldn't be vacillating. One day you're one way, one day you're another way. With one group of people, you are a solid, mature Christians. Then you meet with other friends and you are Abandoning all and behaving like you have no faith. He says, When are you going to get it? When are you going to grow up into maturity that is required in the church? I mean, it's okay for a new believer to begin to stumble. It's good. It's okay for a new believer to have a lot of easy, simple questions. How is Jesus the Son of God? It's simple to say, well, how did, how did the nativity occur? It's simple to talk about, well, you know, I haven't yet quite gotten rid of my sin. But it's not right for a mature believer to still be struggling with those ABCs. Amen? So he says... By this time, you ought to be teachers. Instead, you are needing teachers to still come to you with the very basic ABCs of Christianity. Needing milk, which is what people unskilled in the word of righteousness need, and not mature, trained in the things of the Lord. But then after he says that to them, he he has a therefore. And the therefore is kind of like saying, well, now that you get it, let us now move forward. I'm not going to take you back to the ABCs. He says, you may be needing it, but I'm not doing it for you. I'm not going to play that game with you to take you back to the ABCs of Christianity. Therefore, let us... Move forward. Let us move forward unto maturity. Let us move and leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. And then toward the end of that passage, which is something that intrigued me, uh, he spoke about being sluggish. He he says you should be mature and not sluggish. And as I think of that word uh, sluggish, um, I thought of a slug, right? I mean, I, um, I go to my garden early in the morning, either in the patio or, or as I leave to come to church, and there's, there's all these slugs, you know, on my way. I almost have to not step on them. And I say, I wonder how long they've been on this journey from here to there. Because if they started last night, they're on my way right now. In fact, some of them are climbing up the wall and they're just sitting there. And I'm wondering, are they moving? Or are they alive? Did they die overnight? A lot of the times I just knock them down from the wall and throw them back in the garden. And for the writer of the Hebrews to say that we could be sluggish instead of mature. I looked it up in the dictionary actually and it says that a sluggish person has little movement or activity. It's slow and inactive. Lacking alertness. Vigor Or energy. Inert or indolent. Slow to perform or respond to stimulation. A lazy person. That's a sluggish person. And then the question is Christians. How long will you remain sluggish? How long will it take you to go from the ABCs to becoming teachers? How long? What does it have to take? Are we as teachers and preachers teaching you so little? So milky that you remain infants? Is there not a challenge in the Word of God for all of us to move forward? And then the writer says that we need to move on to maturity away from sluggishness, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. We should have learned already as believers what are the things that are right to do and wrong to do. Aren't we? I mean, do we have to teach you again that adultery is wrong? Do we need to teach you again that stealing is wrong? Do we need to teach you again that gossip and lying and not being loving and not preaching the gospel and not being a Christian in the world is the right thing? Do we have to teach that every Sunday until we get it? He says we need to move away to maturity and not return to laying again the foundation of those things we need to repent from. It is time that we repent from them and move away from those actions. Just because I don't see you doing it, doesn't mean God doesn't know the truth of what you're doing. And ultimately, your answer is not to me. I'm a fellow pilgrim. Your answer is to Almighty God. Do we need to teach repentance again, and again, and again, until you get it? It's what the writer is saying. Do we need to lay again the foundation of repentance of of dead works that lead to nothing? Number two, he says, should we have to lay again the faith toward God? I mean, there are things and mysteries in the Word of God that we all need to continue to wrestle with. But there's a lot of simple things in the Word of God that we don't need to wrestle with. They are clear. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Love is central to the gospel. We don't have to relearn that stuff. We don't need to relearn the many things Jesus teaches in the gospel. Yes, there are some things in the word of God that are difficult. And there are some things that that lend themselves maybe to different interpretations. But it is our problem that we cannot interpret it right. Not God that cannot speak right. It's us who need to struggle with these things. Because the word of God I have found is relatively easy to comprehend. It's us who sometimes have a hard skull. So he says that we... Don't need to be taught again the very foundations of the faith. And then he speaks about instructions about ablutions. Which the word ablution that is used there is the word baptisma, And some people think he's talking about do we need to teach you again the principles of being baptized. But it could also mean to these Jewish believers. Do we have to teach you again that you need to come before the Lord holy That you need to be cleansed before the Lord. He says, do we have to teach you again the principles of laying on hands? Do we have to teach you again that we impart the Holy Spirit upon each other by laying hands with each other? That ordinations happen by the laying on of hands. Do we have to teach again that the laying on of hands conveys grace? Do we need to teach those principles again? That we pray on the sick and we lay hands and God works through the laying on of hands. That there's power. He says, do we have to teach you again about the resurrection from the dead? Have you, are you willing to go back into Judaism and abandon what Jesus has accomplished? Don't you take seriously, that it is through Jesus Christ that we go to the Father's house? That He is the only way to the Father? That there is no one else that can die and would have died for you? That no animal sacrifices can take away your sins forever? That only the death of the Messiah, the death of Jesus Christ forgives and and, and, and atones for all of our sins? Do we have to teach the basics of the cross all over again for you to get it? It should already be solidly firm in your hearts. Should we have to teach to you again eternal judgment? Just a mention of it should scare the daylights out of us. Do we have to teach you again that Jesus Christ is coming back in glory to judge the living and the dead and His kingdom will have no end? Are you willing to leave all those teachings and go back to a former way of life? Or are you willing to have one foot on one side and on the other? Jesus Christ said, you better be cold or you better be hot because if you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You who come to church every Sunday, if you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You either be hot for God or cold against God, but don't think that you are playing the game where God doesn't know the condition of our hearts. Do we have to teach this all over again? Again, new believers. I don't want you to feel like, oh my God. New believers, listen, you are you ask the questions. Don't worry if your question seems strange. We are here to answer. But to those who have been Christians for a long time, we ought to be the teachers and not go back to be needing the ABCs. So I I decided I would look up and see if I agreed. But I mean, this is not my own, though some of it I've made my own and written it my own way. But I wanted to share with you what I would call the 10 marks of a mature Christian. Or the 10 marks of maturity. And you measure yourself against these marks. Number one, an undiluted devotion to Jesus. An undiluted devotion to Jesus. It speaks to me about surrender. I mean, I I wanted to use that word devotion. I didn't just want to say love Jesus. Because we we say love too easy these days. But an, an undiluted devotion to Jesus Christ are you devoted to Him? Is He principal in your life? That's one of the marks of maturity. When you have grown into committing yourself to Jesus Christ and devoting yourself to Him and only to Him. Number two, do you know the Bible well? Do you know the Bible well? Because i got to tell you, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you've never read your Bible, no wonder you're an infant. Maturity is about knowing your Bible well. And I'm not saying knowing everything there is because I still don't know everything in it. Half of what I know I forget. I have to reread it again but we need to have a very good knowledge of the word of the living god if we're going to live in his name in this earth maturity is having a a well read bible marked up bible if your bible is not marked up i'm saying are you reading it is it a trophy Or is the Word what's important in it? Maturity comes with knowing your Bible well. Number three, maturity, a sign of maturity is to worship God in truth and spirit and with a repentant heart. You know, worship, to worship God is to show His worth. Does he have worth to you? Worship is not just about singing songs. We worship the Lord with everything that we are. We worship the Lord at every time. Every place. It doesn't have to be in the church. Wherever we show the worth that God has for us. We worship God. We need to worship God in truth and spirit. And with a. A heart that is truly repentant. Truly submitted. I don't know how you felt when the first lesson was read by Mariah. But I I was listening to what she was saying and I was humbled. I was humbled by what Isaiah was saying. The next sign of maturity for me is loving your neighbor as yourself. It's not only about loving God. It's about loving others. Are you known for your love? Loving others. Including the unbelievers. Including those who persecute you. You have love in your heart. Do you have love in your heart? Especially when you deal with the difficult people. In your life. It's easy to love those that love you back. The next sign of maturity. Is engaging the unbelieving world with the gospel. I mean when you are matured. You're not hesitant about sharing the gospel with other people. You know your word. You're devoted to Jesus. You love those that are lost. And you want to engage the world with the gospel. You want to talk about it. You want to share it. You want to bring people into the kingdom of God. You're not silent. You're not secretive. You are open and sincere. That this is your faith. It's a sign of maturity. The next sign of maturity that I, that I thought about is... Are you aware of a personal call? And I I put it in, in, in quotes. Do you have a call in your life? Have you come to the point of saying, I am not just a bench warmer or a pew warmer. I have a calling from my Father in heaven to be active in service in His holy name. Is there a calling in your life? A calling that you cannot say no to. That's a sign of maturity. When you know that God has something for you and you need to step up to it. The next one is, a mature person is merciful and generous. Uh, You know, much mercy has been shown to us. Much generosity has been shown to us. And we need to be merciful and generous towards other people. And not self-centered. It's not about me. It's through me. It's through me. How can God use me to others' lives? Merciful and generous. Next I thought a sign of maturity is someone who appreciates that suffering is part of faithfulness. In fact, someone has says if you're not suffering for Jesus, you're not showing Jesus very much. If you're not in some way being challenged, if you are not in some way being opposed, then nobody really knows that you are a believer. Because it's not showing appreciates that suffering is part of faithfulness. Number nine is to overflow with thankfulness. I mean, there's nothing greater than a grateful Christian. There's nothing like overflowing with the knowledge that God has picked me up and I am now His Son. That I don't deserve any of it. That all that I have comes from a loving God who has chosen to be in relationship with me. To be thankful and grateful is a sign of maturity of someone who understands all that he or she has received. And to be grateful in all circumstances. And last, a tenth sign of maturity is to have a passion for reconciliation a passion for reconciliation not only forgiving those who have hurt you but you forgiving uh, you forgiving those that have hurt you but you also going to those who may have hurt you and reconciling with them is there a passion for reconciliation between people between groups Are you passionate about unity in the body of Christ? A sign of maturity is to to have these things visible in our lives. And so the question again is, how long have you been a Christian and where are you in your maturity in Christ? Are you still needing to be taught these things? And there may be one or two of them that we may have struggles with and that we're working through. And that's fine. I don't think we ever accomplish all of them and say, I am now matured. I think maturity is a process. And there are times I take a couple steps back and I have to retell myself, wait a minute, the Lord has asked that of me and I I need to do it. And I need to go back to, to doing what I'm supposed to do. Don't focus on this, don't focus on that. Keep your focus on Jesus Christ. If you focus to the left, you'll get depressed. If you focus to the right, you get too exalted. Just focus on Jesus. Just focus on Jesus. Because at the end of the days, it is He who is my judge. He who is my Lord. He who is my Master and nobody else. And by the end of my life, the only one I need to render an account to is my Lord and Savior, my God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and nobody else. My ministry will not be measured whether you like me or not. My my ministry will be measured by whether God says to me in my days, my end days, well done, good and faithful servant. That's all I'm after. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let me tell you, I like to be liked as much as anybody else. But my eyes need to be focused on Jesus and only Jesus Christ. Because that is a sign of maturity. This is not a career. This is a calling. As we, as we are about to, to come before the Lord and say, I believe... I want you to consider this, that these Hebrew Christians heard in this letter. By now, you should all be teachers. Instead of needing to be constantly reminded of the ABCs of the Christian faith. You get it? Is this word for you today? Yes. I hope it is, because it is for me. It is for me. It is for me. I don't want to be sluggish or slow or unattentive. I want to work through my issues in life, my relationships. I want to work through unto maturity. That I may please my Father who is in heaven. You know what you need to repent of. You, need, you know what the calling in your life is. So step up to it. Amen? Amen. Stand with me please.